0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Monday Chapel. Would you all please stand and sing with us?
1: Good morning and welcome to Monday Chapel. So today we're continuing our sermon series on the sad psalms of scripture. And today it's Psalm 88. A psalm written by a man named Heman the Ezraite. That is right, his name is Heman. By the power of graceful, that is awesome. Unfortunately, that's the last lighthearted thing I have to say about this psalm. Because this is the darkest depths of despair we see in the Psalter. A sorrow that can be best described as despair. But even this the light of Christ shines so I invite you to prepare your hearts and minds with the next song. Father, illumine our darkness by the light of your Christ. Amen. So today's uh, reading is Psalm 88, which, we have the slides? There we go. Today's reading is Psalm 88, which as I've already said, is a psalm of incredible darkness. It is amazingly bleak, even by the standards of the psalms of lament and complaint. Oh, you may sit down. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No. Get the laughter out now. we have to go to the darkness first. So how dark is this psalm? Well, the last line of the psalm is, "My only friend is darkness." Hello, darkness, my old friend <laughs> I've come to speak with you again. right this, this, is, this is how the psalm ends. This is where we leave the, the reader at the end of the psalm. and so This is even worse, though, if you consider what lament and complaint psalms usually look like. Because this is a form. This is a form that we see many times in the Psalter. And this form tends to have a a general structure. It looks kind of like this. Not everyone is identical. There's room for creativity. But they generally hit these points. The address. You talk to God. Oh, God of my salvation. or something like that. The complaint. What's bothering you? The confession of trust. Saying that you trust that God is the person who can do something about the complaint that you bring before him. The petition, you actually ask God for help. The vow of praise, you say when God hears your prayer, you intend to praise him. And finally, the thanksgiving. That even before God has even responded to your prayer, you're already thanking him. That is normal lament form. So as we go through this, kind of keep this in your mind and figure out which boxes we're ticking. So we'll read the whole psalm together with a few comments. So read together with me. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Okay, this is a pretty standard address. So far, so good. Even calls him God of my salvation, which you know is a positive uh, start. Read with me. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. This is the petition. This is actually the only thing he asked for in this entire psalm. Listen to me. Let my prayer come to you. Then we get to the complaint. So read with me. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. So this description of weakness, this description of being near to death's door, death described as Sheol, or the pit, this seems to be a man who's dealing with a terminal illness. That he knows his death is near. He mentions later that he has experienced this suffering since his youth. So perhaps some sort of chronic terminal illness. But this is the situation he lives in. He knows his death is just around the corner. But it gets worse. As he says, I'm a man who has no strength. We'll continue together. Like one set free among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. This is a little irony of how he starts out, one set free. So when a slave dies, does a slave still have a relationship with his master? No. No, he is no longer in a relationship with his master. But he sees he is a slave of Yahweh. He's a slave of the Lord, and when he dies, does he lose his relationship with his Lord? Does he lose his master? Will he be forgotten? Will he be cut off from God's vision in death? This is bleak stuff. But he continues. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways. Here describing his situation like being in a deep cistern, or being thrown out into the ocean among the waves. but The thing is, notice who's doing it. He says God is the one who's putting him there. God is the one who's putting him into the pit and into the waves. This is God's wrath against him as he understands it. We continue. Read with me. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. So whatever it is this man's suffering, he suffers it alone because his friends have abandoned him. This is what Some people speculate maybe he has leprosy or some other unclean disease that is separating him. We don't know that for sure, but he blames God for this, that God is the one who has separated him from his friends. Read together, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He hasn't given up. He keeps on praying. He keeps on praying. But, continue, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? These rhetorical questions are disturbing. That he seems to be implying that he thinks the answer to these questions is no. That God does not do wonders for the dead. That the departed are separated and can no longer do the thing they were designed to do. Praise their God. That he is going down to Abaddon, the place of destruction. And there he'll be forgotten, separated from his God forever. This is what I think he's saying. And this is darkness beyond anything that I can match. He continues his complaint. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? In his experience, God is inscrutable. He cannot understand why God is allowing this to happen. He cannot understand God's purpose in this. God is the hidden God here. But it's even worse than it's the hidden God. Read together. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me, they surround me like a flood all day long, they close in on me together. Not only is God hidden, he sees God as his enemy, God has turned against him, and God is the one who is doing this to him. Then we finish the psalm. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My only friend is darkness. Let this seep into you. This is the word of the Lord. But how could this be the word of the Lord for us? How can this be so incredibly bleak? And it's even bleaker, we look at what's missing, right? We have our address, very short, but it's there. The complaint, huge, massive. Almost the entire psalm. The confession of trust? Implied at best. I mean, the only way I can see trust in here is the fact that he's actually praying. Right? Because people who have given up entirely on God don't pray. They don't write psalms. But that's only implied. There's no trust expressed in the psalm. The petition? Very short. It's there, but it's short. The vow of praise? Well, he says it's impossible. He cannot praise God because can the dead rise up and praise you? And the thanksgiving is non-existent. That this is the darkness. This is the darkness in its absolute depths. And maybe you know the darkness. Maybe not this level, but maybe you know the darkness. You know that feeling that God is not listening. Or that God may be even your enemy. When darkness is your only friend. When you feel totally alone even when you're surrounded by others. This is what this psalm is speaking to. This is a very raw, authentic response to that situation in life. But here's the thing. It's in the darkness that we encounter God. Because God dwells even in the darkness. And so I want to share a couple psalms with you. First, Psalm 23, which says, Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, like this man does, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're rotting your staff, they comfort me. Or Psalm 139 Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. The God is present in the darkness, and he turns darkness into light, which sounds very nice, but a little abstract. But I want to make it very, very concrete here. How does God dwell in the darkness? Uh, and to get there, though, I have to talk a little bit about. Uh, how we read the psalms you see christ teaches us to read the psalms in christ he does this on the cross when he speaks the words of psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me claiming that psalm as his own prayer he does this after his resurrection when he claims that all of the law all the prophets and all of the psalms testify to me that's right all the psalms which has to include 88 this is how Peter interprets the Psalms in Christ. This is how the early church and the reformers have interpreted the Psalms in Christ. So when we say this is the Word of the Lord, what if we actually take that seriously—that these are the words of Christ prayed through He-Man uh, the Esraite? And so let's read this Psalm in Christ. These are the words of Christ in the deepest darkness of the cross. That his feeling of complete abandon by God, only Christ knows what that feels like, to be totally abandoned by the Father. The experience that all of his friends have shunned him, Jesus knows that as all of his disciples abandon him and leave him to his death. The the intense suffering that he has been separated from God as he goes down to Abaddon, Jesus experiences that in his death and his descent into hell. That Christ has experienced this darkness. And it's there that we meet our Lord. Meet our Lord at the cross. And this is an amazing thing, because when we meet our Lord here at the cross, when we uh, are encountered by him, when he finds us in our deepest darkness, having himself experienced the deepest abyss, well, all things change. And so let's reread those rhetorical questions, but reread them in light of Christ. Say with me. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? This is an amazing thing. As Paul tells us, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All of these questions that in our despair seem to be no in Christ are yes. So do the dead, do you work wonders to the dead? Yes, he raises the dead. Do the departed rise up to praise you? This is like half the point of Revelation, that the saints in heaven are eternally praising their God. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Avadon? Yes, yes, because Christ is God's ultimate expression of his steadfast love and faithfulness. A steadfast love and faithfulness that brings him down to hell. And are your wonders known in the darkness? Yes. A million times yes. So God takes the darkest, darkness of all, and makes into light. That even death, the greatest enemy of all, is now but the path to eternal life. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have come into our darkness that you have experienced in a way that we cannot even begin to understand. We thank you that you have prayed this prayer for yourself on the cross, but prayed it also for us, so that we would have words to express our sorrow, but words that do not leave us in sorrow, but drive us towards you and towards your wonderful light. In your name we pray. Amen. Go now in the peace and joy of the Lord. Amen.